Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Riccaro and we are keeping score in the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Come back, come back, come back. Most of the sports world is now dominated by sponsors increasing spending, television schedules, and leagues all over the world deciding when to come back, which is significant and credible and what everybody wants to hear. And in that context, let's look at the deal-making three to one. Number three, the NBA Board of Governors votes to resume its season on July 31 at the ESPN Wide World of Sports in Orlando. 22 teams, stringent safety practices. They return to play in a tentative start date of July 31. NBA and Players Association working with infectious disease specialists, public health experts, and government officials to establish a rigorous program to mitigate risks related to COVID-19. The 22 returning teams would be 16 teams, eight per conference, in current playoff positions, as well as the six teams, currently six games or fewer, behind the eighth seed. Restart begins with eight seeding games for each returning team and includes the possibility of a play-in tournament, the NBA Finals, and no later than October 12, time the new season would normally start, which it'll start later, but clearly a positive move from the NBA's perspective. That's number three. Number two, the world's top 100 highest paid athletes earned a combined $3.6 billion this year, down 9% from last year due to the coronavirus and marks the first decline since 2016 per Forbes. Roger Federer took the number one spot, edging past Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi to become the first tennis player to top the rankings. Federer earned $100 million in endorsements from Uniqlo, Mercedes-Benz, and others. Naomi Osaka, 29, and Serena Williams, number 33, both made the top 100 for the first time since 2016 that multiple women were featured, Williams and Sharapova. Athletes from 21 countries made the list, with NBA players making the list more than any other sport. NFL had the best year as a group. The 21 countries, U.S. 68, U.K. 5, Spain 4, France 3. In contrast, MLB players were the hardest hit following the postponement of opening day in March, and only one professional baseball player, Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, made the cut down from 15 in 2019. That's number two. Number one, don't underestimate this story, folks. New Zealand stadiums could be allowed to sell out starting this week with the country's government set to decide whether to lift all COVID-19 social distancing measures. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern will decide on June 8 whether the country is ready to bring its alert system down to level one, meaning restrictions around mass gatherings at stadiums being completely lifted. The move, according to SportsPro, would pave the way for fans to attend the Super Rugby Tournament, competition involving the five Kiwi Super Rugby sides starting on June 13. Ardern noted that the government is working with sports venues to perform contact tracing at large events. Pro sports in New Zealand returned behind closed doors last week with Premier League Tennis, a three-week tournament taking place in Auckland. The return of match day income would provide a welcome boost for domestic rugby in New Zealand after the sports national governing body reported in April a $4.6 million loss last year 
and warned of a 70% decline this year. But the big story is if New Zealand's stadiums would be open for sellouts, when do other worldwide venues follow? Not tomorrow, but at least it's on the radar. And that's number one. Well, we talk about opening, and we're going to feature opening events for as long as it takes over the next few weeks. Ken Kennerly, the Honda Classic Executive Director and also new executive with ProLink Sports, who run and are involved in seven other tournaments, and is looking at the opening of golf events, including this week's event at the Colonial, the Byron Nelson, the Schwab Cup. Kennerly has been involved in the sports industry for 30 years, Advantage International, Octagon, IGP, Kennerly's firm, uh, IMG Worldwide, Senior Vice President of North American Event Division of IMG, and he's had a number of significant roles, including being involved in the Honda Classic. He's had some perspective about what it takes to open sporting events and certainly golf events. Ken Kennerly, really important perspective, and here he is somebody who's been in the business for 30 plus years and i have the honor to call him a good friend ken kennerly how are you well hello rick it's great to be on the line with you as always and uh, appreciate you having me on you directed successfully uh the honda classic uh for yet another fantastic year we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes but the timing was wonderful in the context of a couple weeks before uh, the players got shut down halfway through the event and golf went dark because of the coronavirus. Now we're coming back. Talk a little bit about your alliance with Hollis Kavner and your new job, basically. Well, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, so Hollis Kavner is a, an old buddy of mine. We've been in this business together over 30 years, both of us. And, you know, his company has grown significantly over the last several years. He currently uh, manages uh, seven events on the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour Champions, which, of course, is the uh, the new name for the senior tour out there. Um, you know, the PGA Tour events that he manages, Valspar, which was the first event to be canceled after the players was canceled, Wells Fargo Championship in Charlotte also canceled, uh, the 3M Open, which is coming up in a few weeks in Minnesota, and he's currently waiting for the governor to uh, basically release uh, release the event to be played. Um, then, of course, the Insperity in Houston, a champions event that was canceled. He has Sanford Health up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota uh, in September, and the Boca Raton Championship down by us end of October, which is run by Eddie Carboni. So, uh, and in addition, of course, he consults for the WGC, the World Golf Championship in Mexico. So those are his seven events. Needless to say, he's very, very busy. And uh, while I manage only one event, the Honda Classic, uh, I'm bringing, you know, 30 plus years of knowledge and relationships and certainly experience to his, uh, to our new partnership, the joint venture that we have together in helping him grow. And he's, uh, again, built a well, significant company in ProLink Sports and, you know, it's just going to continue to get bigger and bigger. With your experience and expertise, obviously you're, you're lending it, it for the benefit of, of, of him, but uh, Octagon, Golden Bear, IMG, um, was Advantage. You know, 30 years of knowing the industry front and back. I understand that you're also going on kind of a fact-finding tour in the next couple of weeks, three weeks, to see how the beginning uh, of golf comeback will be at all of these events. So let's talk about the comeback. Everybody wants to know. This is an international audience. Um, what's your thought on how these 
crowdless events are going to look. We've seen a sneak preview with the two kind of made-for-TV charity fundraisers down here in South Florida, but now it's for real. It's, you know, Dallas, and and then it's uh, a whole host of places. So give me your expectation set as you begin to look at these tournaments. Well, uh, as you said, I mean, we had two made-for-TV events. The, the most recent, of course, Tiger, Phil, Brady, Peyton Manning was the highest-rated golf cable show ever and that includes the masters par three masters thursday friday coverage which is enormous and you know it just shows you i think the appetite that you know people have in watching live sports i mean just the other day i was watching the 1974 muhammad ali joe fraser bout uh when i was 10 years old and uh you know i think we're all getting a little tired of watching reruns so you know that was great to see live golf rick as you know and it was uh really special to see those guys play but now the pga tour the best most recognizable tour in the world will start up of course at the charles schwab challenge and you know they have the best field they've ever had as you would expect this is one of the first four events maybe five events that will be played without fans uh, so certainly there's going to be a learning curve i am as you mentioned i'm going actually uh, uh, Sunday to visit my good friend Steve Wilmont that runs the RBC Heritage Tournament in Hilton Head to understand what it's like to have an event with no fans. So while this Sunday will be the final round of the Charles Schwab Challenge, again with no fans, you know, I will be learning uh, front and center in case, Rick, in case we need to either at the 3M Open or other events, including next March's Honda Classic, if we need to see what it's like to operate with no fans. But needless to say, it's great to have live golf back on network television, fantastic fields, you know, all the great players, of course, are going to play. Uh, it's just, it's going to be great to, uh, you know, have something really to do on Saturday and Sunday, uh, tune in CBS sports from uh, three to six. It'll be really interesting to see what happens below the surface. Even when we're watching TV, especially without fans, we have no idea what's going on on site. Will you kind of just describe uh, I know we don't have enough time for the full checklist, but you know, all of the general precautions, all of the things that have to happen generically preparation-wise, you know, the testing aspects, the limiting on vol- of volunteers, the family members, the press. How does, how does generally a uh, post-pandemic comeback no-crowd tournament work? Well, the PJ Tour, as you can imagine, has spent – you know, hundreds, hundreds, thousands of hours trying to make sure that this comeback goes uh, seamlessly and, and, and it will, uh, you know, Jay Monahan and his great team up there, no doubt, uh, have done everything they possibly can to assure tremendous success. I, for one, I have to go through testing when I pull into Hilton Head on Sunday. Um, the tournament doesn't really, tournament week doesn't start till Monday, but I cannot even walk into the clubhouse or the player locker room on the Sunday before until I'm tested. And of course, uh, you know, deemed negative uh, to be able to walk into the player player uh, locker rooms. I have spoken to a few players over the past couple of weeks. They have to submit their tests uh, with doctors on Zoom calls and send in, you know, whatever they need to send in. And then, of course, they're going to get tested before they walk into the, the tournament aspects as well. So the tour is doing everything it can. They have a, uh, it's, you know, 20, 30, 40 page handbook on regulations of what to do. Um, as they get restarted. But the one thing we don't want, obviously, is to have any player, caddy, volunteer that happens to be involved uh, to contract COVID-19 while, of course, they're there at the uh, tournament site. So it's very in-depth, Rick, as you would imagine. 
you mentioned uh, obviously the players, the caddies. Uh, everybody uh, has to be taken care of in this huge undertaking. Volunteers, sponsors, not as many on site clearly, but there are some. Media, national TV, regional. Uh, there is an incredible undertaking beyond just the players, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, you know, the players and the caddies are, are one thing, but you mentioned volunteers. I mean, you know, it's my understanding, and I'm going to learn more on Sunday, but it's my understanding you still need, you know, five, 600 people out there helping. Um, you know, you're still going to have about a thousand people on site. You got television, you got all the networks between Golf Channel and CBS. Uh, you've got shot link volunteers. I mean, yeah, so you still have probably upwards of a thousand people. Um, that need to make sure that they uh, go through the proper protocol. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's also going to be interesting, Rick, I think, you know, and our, our friends at the networks are telling me that, you know, the camera angles, I think are going to be a little bit different. I don't think you're going to see camera angles with, you know, a lot of the quote, what, what used to be the gallery. I think you're going to see the camera angles zoom in right in on the players. They're going to be following the balls right into the green. So I think they're going to try to limit as much as possible the, the shots of the sparse or no crowds uh, around the tournament. And it's, you know, it's very similar, to, I think, to what we've seen on the European tour and some other events, frankly, that just don't draw a lot of crowds. So I think it's going to come across very well to the spectator. I think the one thing the players, of course, will, will miss will be the crowd reactions and the energy that they derive from the spectators, uh, certainly the bigger name players as they uh, they walk from, you know, green to tea and then tea to green. So I think overall it's going to be a terrific television show. It's going to be great to see live golf. And, boy, it is so needed. And let's all pray that the, uh, the next four or five weeks go with no fans, go very successfully. And, of course, we've already already heard that Memorial Jack Nicholas's tournament is going to go with fans, albeit probably a limited fan base, but that will be the first event back with fans. Let's talk about that for a minute. You're a director – who's had an incredible uh, event that has uh, revolutionized Palm Beach County economically. I know that I'm here and I'm involved with your ambassadors, full disclosure, and that you had crowds and world, you know, uh, record-breaking crowds continually. Um, and now you, you got to really, I guess, plan a couple of tracks. I know the Memorial has, has crowds, but we've got Ryder Cup issues. We've got other issues. Uh, we don't know about the pandemic recurrence or not. So how much, uh, put your Honda hat on for a minute and your, your shot links or your, your pro links hat. How much of your, your parallel track planning includes crowds, no crowds, or you just have to wait to see what the health officials predict long-term? Well, I think that's right. I think the term crowds is a term that probably won't be aligned with tournaments or sports, really. I mean, you know, crowds, you know, the, the, the connotation of a crowd is, you know, what we've had at the Bear Trap and what a lot of events and certainly what SEC football and all sports has. So I don't know what crowds will really mean going forward. I do know that the, the hospitality uh, social distancing and hospitality venues is going to be limited. I understand from Dan Sullivan at the Memorial that, you know, what, what, what chalet might've held a hundred people is now going to be designed for 50 people. The tables are going to be probably spaced apart. I think access will be certainly limited. Um, so we need to understand what this, you know, until we get a vaccine, we need to understand what the health officials 
uh, are, are basically dictating that we are able to do or not do. I mean, again, it's a new world. We need to protect our customers, our spectators, while our customers and spectators might not be interested in protecting themselves, as we've seen in South Florida with some of the areas and bars opening up. You know, we need to be responsible and do what, but what we need to do. And we're still learning. Uh, we've got a long runway at the Honda Classic, and that's why we're taking, you know, every bit of information that we can uh, absorb currently, Rick, and uh, just learn from others, which is one of the great things with the PGA Tours, the, you know, the, the whole, the, the partnerships that we all had together. We learned from each other through best practices, and this is certainly unprecedented times. So we're going to learn from other events that are currently going through it. I know you're busy. Just a couple of quickies, uh, especially since you're preparing for your, your trip and a whole other stuff. We went from two weeks ago uh, waiting for Korean baseball as appointment viewing at 3.30 in the morning to now the inevitable ad age articles that are saying the glut in August, September, October between all sports will be so prolific that advertisers make it lost in the deluge of sports on television which is unbelievable, but a pleasant problem if this V recovery is to be taken seriously. What's your take on all of that? And how does golf um, get above the clutter to recoup some of its lost luster and revenue based on the 15-week uh, quiet period that we just came out of? Well, you know, it's, 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 as we know, I mean, the, the golf schedules now are going all the way through December. So golf alone has between the LPGA tour, of course, the PGA tour, the PGA tour champions, you know, the U S open is back in September, Augusta national, the masters is in November. So golf alone has literally an event every week, I think with the exception of Thanksgiving week. So, you know, we're going to have plenty to watch, no doubt about it. The players are going to have to make a, a decision where, they decide to play. You certainly can't play all 15 events in a row or however many events are left on the schedule. But as it, as it relates to other sports and, you know, how are advertisers going to distance themselves perhaps or separate themselves might be a better way to say it from, from the others. You know, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I certainly don't have an answer to that. I do know that there are certain companies that have moved some of their advertising from say MLB baseball into the PGA Tour, onto the PGA Tour broadcast, and I'm sure companies are shuffling their ad uh, ad dollars quite a bit right now as to you know how to deal with this what will be a very cluttered sports environment, which as you said is a good problem to have because we're going to have a lot of it on television. Crystal ball, final question. I'm going to ask you something you have no idea how to answer, but the heck with it. What does the sports industry look like? three years from now? Well, great questions. Uh, you know, by then we'll have a vaccine. So I think the, the sports business will, will probably resemble a little from a, from a fan standpoint, from a advertising standpoint, I would imagine it's going to resemble somewhat what it looks like now as to what it looks like physically and in person. Uh, we're, we're, we're not really sure. Uh, I think what this period of time has shown all of us is the power of sport Sport, you know, unifies this country, unifies this world. It brings people together. So sport will have no doubt as important, if not more important, uh, part of what really this globe is envisioning and, and, and embracing. And, you know, I think we've all missed it. And this is the one unifying power in this world, especially in today's world, Rick, 
I think people will come together and enjoy whether it's out at a bar or at home or you know wagering who knows so not much of an answer for you but that's it's just that's kind of my answer right now by the way ken obviously key industry executive the pga tour wasn't sleeping during the off season they were getting ready to open for crowd events fan events non-fan events but they also you know, launched a new program designed to elevate the path for golfers to go pro called the pga tour university it rewards elite collegiate play with varying levels of playing access to tours operated under the golf umbrella. The level of immediate success of the top college players in the last decade, the PGA has developed a plan to provide a pathway for those players as they begin their journeys into the professional ranks, says Jay Monahan. Corn Ferry Tour executive Brandon Van Doren points out that the golf industry doesn't have a draft like many other sports leagues, so this is a unique opportunity for the sport. The point is this. Ken Kennerly talks about the opening of events and schedule, PGA Tour, clearly a bridge into making sure golf continues to be appropriate and growing for the masses and the tour and players as well. Sports Tech Minute? Very interesting. We've talked about fan noise. Should we have it? Should we not? Japan may have an answer that solves all problems. A remote cheering app could boost the atmosphere in Japan's empty stadiums. Soccer resumes in a little bit of time, but with stadiums without reporters as well. But according to The Guardian, a new smartphone app could mean the action will not unfold in silence. The remote cheerer system, that's what it's called, developed by the Japanese firm Yamaha, allows fans following the match on TV, the radio, or online to encourage or or berate players via their smartphones, their voices reverberating around the stadium in real time via loudspeakers. In a recent field test, users in multiple remote locations chose from a range of on-screen options that sent their cheers, applause, chants, and boos the 50,000-seat stadium to life. Yamaha said the app can be adapted for use at a range of sports and other events held behind closed doors or with limited numbers of spectators. The J-League expected to resume matches soon, pending agreements from its 58 teams, and could use it in a trial in virtual fan connectivity during the period in which fans will not be allowed to visit sporting events in person. That's the Sports Tech Minute. You combine the New Zealand opening of stadiums with this remote cheerer system, sounds like real sports are coming back. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Power of Sports Minute, as we, as we have done, is not just one event, but it's a celebration of a diversity. A broader range of sports stars and leagues stands solidarity in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, Serena Williams, Lewis Hamilton, Alex Ovechkin, uh, Colin Kaepernick, obviously, including statements and also protests, and the leagues, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLS, MLB, with statements. P.K. Subban donates $50,000 to charity for George Floyd's daughter, New Jersey Devils defenseman. Jack Dorsey makes a $200,000 donation to John Wall's coronavirus charity, interrelated, obviously, with Black Lives Matter, coronavirus disproportionate impact on the African-American community, and on and on. And protests across the nation have NBA players taking to the streets. Ennis Cantor, Outspoken Celtics Center, Marcus Smart, Lonzo Ball, others, and 
Finally, Colin Kaepernick offers to pay for the lawyers of Minneapolis protesters, according to Sports Illustrated, proving that he is, by many, if not all accounts, the father of this movement, at least the modern-day evolution of it. That's your Power of Sports Minute. The bottom line of all of this, as sports continues to come back, we will continue to cover it with the leaders of the industry and more. Ricaro, inviting you next week to join us when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.